0: The sermon text for this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. If you please turn there in your copy of Scripture. Keep your Bibles open so that you can follow along as we work our way through these two verses. There we read, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In one of the churches that my family attended when I was little, I remember one Sunday I was sitting with my friends and uh, we were, you know, Group of young boys, so we were kind of distracted uh, during the sermon. And that morning, my friend's dad was preaching. Uh, He wasn't a pastor, but he was the guest preacher for that day. And I remember that uh, during the sermon, at one point, he stopped and uh, he looked over at us. And, uh, you know, we didn't notice that he had stopped and that he was uh, looking at us because we were distracted. Uh, talking with uh, one another and, you know, just being boys. And then my friend's dad, the preacher, he called his son by name, and, uh, and he said, you and all your friends over there need to stop talking and being so distracted. He did that from the pulpit midway uh, during his sermon. And you can imagine that got us really quiet, really fast. Right? We didn't move an inch for the rest of the sermon. I got an earful also from my parents on the car ride home. Uh, you know, it was shocking, surprising to be called out uh, so publicly and uh, so unexpectedly. Well, a very similar thing happened uh, 2,000 years ago in a small church in uh, Philippi. We know this letter, we've been in it for several months now, a letter to the Philippians, Well, we know that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this church. It was a church that he knew and that he loved. That church in Philippi was started when uh, Paul was called by a man in a vision to Macedonia. And when he arrived in Philippi, which was a leading city in Macedonia, after a few days we know that Paul and some others began to share the gospel with some women. And we read that one of these women was... Lydia, and that as Paul and the others shared the gospel with her, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This, we know, is the description of the effectual call that God, by His Holy Spirit, sovereignly worked in Lydia's heart to grant her saving faith. And then she and her whole household, her family, were subsequently baptized. And so when Paul and his companions left Philippi, to continue their missionary journeys, you know, they left behind this small but a very thriving uh, church, a very live church. And as so he wrote this letter, several years later, you know, he was writing to people that he knew, to people that he loved as he wrote this letter to the Philippians. And as we noted as we've been going through this letter, Paul's pastoral heart really comes across. And so, you know, you can imagine, right, the letter arriving to the church and somebody receiving the letter and saying, hey, we've received a letter from Paul. And the way that these letters were read in the first century is they were read out loud while the whole church was gathered. And so imagine that Sunday so long ago, the church was gathered for worship, the letter from Paul was was opened and toward the end of the letter this personal exhortation is heard i entreat yodia and i entreat sintiki to agree in the lord i'm sure again it got really quiet really fast why did paul address these two women so personally and so publicly I want you to notice there in verse 3 that Yodia and Syntyche were Paul's ministry partners. We see that they played key roles in the ministry to the Philippian church and perhaps to other churches in the area around Macedonia. Look again at verse 3. We read, Paul says, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Now that wording, side by side, it's a picture of Roman soldiers uh, side by side uh, together, locked in march, advancing against an opponent. And Paul here is saying that Yodia and Syntyche were fellow soldiers with him. They were fighting for the advancement of the gospel in Philippi and and perhaps beyond. And so when these two very prominent, well-known women... They began arguing. It wasn't just a personal conflict, but it was a conflict that affected the whole church. It affected the whole church to such a degree that Paul heard about it while he was in prison. And he wrote uh, in this letter personally uh, to them very specifically about the conflict that they were in. And we don't know what their argument was about you know, we can be almost certain that it wasn't doctrinal because if the argument between Yodi and Sintiki was uh, doctrinal, uh, if it was a disagreement over biblical truth, you know, Paul would have addressed that. Paul, throughout his letters, he address, addresses um, heresy. He addresses false teaching. Um, he doesn't put up with it. Right? So this argument seemed to be, a personal a disagreement between the two women. As personal as it was, it, it was affecting the whole church. It was affecting the peace of the church in Philippi, and it was affecting the church's witness in, in the area. And, you know, if we think about how this conflict between these two women was affecting the church, and also the church's witness in the area, you know, this is one of of Satan's uh, tactics. It's to conquer and and to uh, conquer us by uh, dividing us. You know, if Satan cannot destroy the church from without. We see so often in history that he attempts to destroy us and to attack us and to divide us from within. Uh, Sometimes it's with false teaching, by heresies, rent asunder, the hymn goes. And sometimes it's with conflict, conflict among church members. So many uh, missionary uh, endeavors and so many churches have, have crumbled, not because of violent opposition or persecution from the world and from Satan, uh, not because of some major catastrophe, but because of conflict uh, from within, conflict between Christians. And so Paul knew about the danger this posed to that little church in Philippi, and, and so he wrote and, and he wrote and he addressed the issue directly. I entreat, I plead with Iodia, and I plead with Sintiki to agree in the Lord. When we see that phrase, agree in the Lord, you know that that phrase means to think the same thing. It actually connects back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. If you recall in that passage, the Apostle Paul spoke to the church and said, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Have the same goal. Be led by the same desire, and that is, to glorify Christ and to be united in him. And even more importantly, we see that it connects with chapter 2, verse 5, where Paul says that we are to have the same mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. And then Paul describes the kind of mind that the Lord Jesus had, that he had a mind that was willing to uh, suffer the humiliation of the cross for sinners. Loved ones, do you see the importance of of what Paul is doing here? He is urging each and every one of us to think like Christ. To think like Christ who we know did not assert his rights, did not assert his privileges and his standing, but who willingly humbled himself and who willingly suffered for us. The Apostle Paul says, that you and I are to have that same mind, that same attitude. It means that we are to have the same convictions about the gospel and that we bring these convictions to bear in every area of our lives, including our relationships with one another. We have the same heart of the Lord Jesus that was as he was willing to serve and to humble himself and to help others in their need. Because that's what we... Think about, isn't it, when we think about the Lord Jesus, what did he do for us? He reconciled us to God. He brought peace between us and God by taking God's wrath upon himself. And so, loved ones, now being in Christ, you know what it means? It means that we seek to live at peace with one another. We seek to experience that peace with one another that God has already brought into our lives. We know, don't we, especially those of us that have been Christians for a long time, we know that conflict happens even among Christians. The Bible does not deny the fact that Christians will sometimes, perhaps even often, disagree with one another. The Bible acknowledges that, that we are sinners, that we are fallen, and we live in a fallen world. The Bible acknowledges that we have an enemy, Satan, again, who seeks to divide us. But the Bible, loved ones, the Bible also commands us to be reconciled to each other when conflict takes place. We are commanded to actively seek to be at peace with one another. Lord Jesus said this in in Matthew chapter 5. He said that, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Lord Jesus there teaching that reconciliation with the person who has something against you, you know, that needs to take precedence even over offering your gift in worship even before offering your gift in in the temple. And he says, you know, if you can't agree, then bring a third party to help. As we'll see in Matthew chapter 18. This is what Paul speaks about in in our passage this morning. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 3, he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. Now, we don't know the precise identity of the true companion that Paul refers to here, but we see that he is called by Paul to act as a mediator between Iodia and Sintiki to help them, in a sense we might say, rediscover their like-mindedness in Christ, the unity that they share in Christ. Jesus says something similar when talking about a, a third-party mediator, to help resolve conflicts among Christians. He says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 16, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What we see in this passage, loved ones, is that we are to seek peace. We are to seek reconciliation. And we are to help one another to do so. You know, the main point, the main idea is that reconciliation is not an option for us as Christians. It's a necessity. It is a command. It's an imperative. The Apostle Paul had his own experience with conflict among his ministry team. Um, We think about the incident between Paul and John Mark, about how they had their own falling out. We read in the book of Acts that John Mark uh, abandoned Paul and Barnabas in Pamphylia. We're not told why uh, John Mark left, but we know that it didn't sit well with the Apostle Paul. Later, uh, we read that Barnabas wanted to give John Mark uh, a second chance to prove himself, but Paul did not think that John Mark could be relied upon. And so we read in the book of Acts that their team split up, that there was division. And as we think about this account, as we'll soon read about it, it's amazing that the Holy Spirit included this conflict right, this division among the apostles in the New Testament, that it wasn't just glazed over or dismissed, but it's included here to show us that, yes, there is conflict in the church, but as we'll see, God has provided wonderful means of reconciliation. We read the account of this conflict in Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 36, that after some days Paul and said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers In every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. As we read this passage, what we see is that in the sovereignty of God, uh, this disagreement actually served to multiply their ministry. You see that Barnabas went to strengthen the churches in Cyprus, and then Paul went the churches in other parts of the world, and that in addition, uh, both Mark and Silas went on to have significant ministries of their own. So in the sovereignty of God, this conflict didn't weaken the church, but it actually served God's purpose. But we see that there was still tension between Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. Would they be reconciled, right? And loved ones, there is evidence in the Bible that they did reconcile. We read uh, first in the book of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. This uh, letter was written to the church in Corinth sometime after uh, Paul and Barnabas separated. And in this letter, Paul referred to Barnabas as a fellow worker who shares his life and labor. So we see that the breach The conflict between them had been healed. And then in his final letter, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy while in prison. This is what he wrote to Timothy. This is his final letter. Paul writes, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Loved ones, we see the beauty here of their relationship, that it has been restored, and they are continuing in ministry together. Not only are they reconciled, it's not as though they just said, hey, let's agree not to fight anymore. But we see that it, instead they reconciled and they continued they continue to work together for the same goal, for the glory of Christ in the world. They remained of the same mind. We see this explained in point three, working together toward greater unity loved ones, our goal as a church and as Christians individually must not be simply to to get along or simply to uh, tolerate one another. Our goal is not simply to avoid arguments and to avoid conflicts and disagreements with each other, but the Bible instead calls us to develop deep friendships, lasting relationships with each other. The Bible calls us to move toward one another in love, to be involved in each other's lives, to be involved to the degree that if one of us is in pain, we feel that pain, that if one of us is rejoicing, we rejoice as well. Loved ones, you know, the only way that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Romans chapter 12, verse 15, the only way that we can do that is if we have a communion bond through the Spirit that is sovereignly accomplished in our lives and in our church, we have that communion bond through the Spirit, and then we cultivate and we strengthen that bond with time spent together and in worship together and friendships. See, because our bond, our bond with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is greater than our bond with our family members who are not Christians. Think about that this morning. That our unity in Christ by the Spirit is actually deeper than the bond that we share with non-Christians, even if they are our family members, our, our blood relations. As you look around the church this morning, fellow church members, and my fellow church members, brothers and sisters, this is our family. This is our church family. The Bible says that this is also our forever family. Paul refers to this reality in in verse 3 when he refers to the book of life. We read, Paul says, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. You know, Moses spoke about this book when he asked God to either forgive the Israelites their sin, or Moses said, blot me out of your book that you have written, Exodus 32. And then God responded, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And David, when he was speaking about those who opposed God, David wrote, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. That's Psalm 69, verse 28. And this book is mentioned several times in Revelation in connection with the final judgment. We read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, the Lord Jesus says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, we are told that our names, the names of, of true believers who do not bow down to idols, that our names were written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. Of the Lamb who was slain. So, loved ones, our names were written in this book before we were even born, before creation. This is showing the glory and the grace of God's sovereign election. And then, toward the end of Revelation chapter 21, beginning of verse 22, it's revealed that only those whose names are written in the book of life will enter the new creation, will enter the new heavens, and the new earth. We read there the vision. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And see, Paul is using this reality, loved ones. This wonderful reality that our names are written in the book of life. We are on the role of God's elect. And he's doing this to point out our eternal communion, not just with Christ, but with one another, as church members, as brothers and sisters in him. And so think about it this morning, dear friends. Our names are written in this book, your name, my name, and the names of all those who believe and who have believed and who will believe in the Lord Jesus. See, this is our bond, that we were chosen in Christ by the Father before creation, and then in in the fullness of time, Christ died on the cross in order to redeem us from our sins, and then at one point we went from being dead to sin and alive in Christ when the Holy Spirit breathed new life in us. And then we were born again by that action. We were regenerated. And so loved ones, by God's sovereign action we have been united to Christ. But Wonderfully, we have also been united to one another. And so when we gather here for worship on Sunday mornings, as we have gathered this morning, and when we meet for fellowship together with other Christians, you know what we're doing is we're strengthening the bonds that we will continue to have for eternity. Our church here at Grace, it's an outpost of heaven. We are an outpost of heaven. And we need to strive to live here together on earth as it is in heaven. Is there someone in our church this morning that you have to reconcile with? A brother or a sister that you need to forgive or whom you need to seek forgiveness from. Encourage you not to delay in being reconciled. You have a union and bond with that person that is spiritual. That is eternal. It's a bond and a union that overrides and can overcome any interpersonal disagreement or disputes. May our God of peace grant us his grace and peace as we strive together towards greater unity as a church. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich truth of your word that so clearly reveals Christ and all of his benefits to us. We do pray, Lord, that you would grant us greater unity and peace as a church and we may be an outpost of heaven to weary pilgrims in this world, a church that reveals in our worship and in our fellowship together the uh, everlasting joys that await us in that heavenly city. And bless us, we pray, as we Now prepare to partake of this spiritual feast that is before us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.